ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so we finished last time the hadith of Jibreel and we looked over the issues that were mentioned in that hadith regarding al-Islam and al-Iman and al-Ihsan and then similarly some of the aspects of the Day of Judgment uh, and we took some of those benefits that were mentioned regarding that hadith and what can be taken from it after that then the following hadith is the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar radiyallahu anhuma qal qala rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam buniya al-islam ala khams shahadati an la ilaha illa allah wa anna muhammadan rasulullah wa iqamis salah wa ita'iz zakah wal hajj wa sawmi ramadhan rawahu al-bukhari wa muslim so this hadith is narrated by al-imam al-bukhari and by al-imam muslim or it is collected by them in their books, the Sahih of Al-Bukhari and the Sahih of Muslim. The Hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar, radiyallahu anhumah, he says, that the Prophet wasallam said, Islam is built upon five. Islam is built upon five, i.e. five pillars. Shahadati an la ilaha illallah, wa anna muhammadan rasulullah, the testification that none has the right to be worshipped in truth except Allah, and that Muhammad is the Messenger of Allah, Salah, and to establish the prayer, and the giving of the zakat, the uh, exiting of the zakat from your wealth, and the hajj, and the fasting of Ramadan. These are the five uh, pillars that are mentioned in this hadith as Islam being built upon them. So in reality, this hadith is similar to the previous hadith in that aspect. Because this hadith, the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar, and the previous hadith, the hadith of Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhum, then all of those, both of those, a hadith mentioned the five pillars of Islam. In the previous narration, the narration of Umar radiallahu anhu, it was mentioned, Akhbirni anil Islam. Tell me about Islam. So the Prophet has said, Al Islamu an tashhada an la ilaha illallah, that you bear testification that there is no deity to be worshipped in truth except Allah, and the continue, continuation of the rest of the pillars of Islam were mentioned. So the five pillars were mentioned in that hadith too. And similarly, those five pillars are mentioned in this hadith. However, it may have been understood from the previous hadith, the hadith of Umar, uh, the hadith of Umar, radiallahu anhu, where he said that the Prophet said, Islam is to testify that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah, and that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. And to give the uh, to establish the prayer and to fast and to give the zakat and to do the hajj, that's what was mentioned. Maybe somebody may think that Islam is only those five things. Somebody may think that Islam is only those five things, because in the previous hadith, when Jibril 
asked the Prophet ﷺ, what is Islam? Then he explained it by mentioning those five things. So somebody may understand from that narration that perhaps Islam is just those five things. But the reality is Islam is not just those five things. The reality is that Islam is multiple other things too. But the point is that it is built upon those five things. They are the core, they are the foundational pillars of Islam. And that's what this hadith explains. Buniyal Islam ala khams. This religion is built upon five. Meaning that the religion, its core pillars are these five pillars, but that there are other things to it as well. So when you have this hadith and the previous hadith together, then you understand that Islam is not only those five things, rather Islam is built upon those five things. And there are other things which come into it as well. And that's what the shaykh mentions here. Uh, وَإِلَّا فَالْإِسْلَامُ كَثِيرٌ Otherwise, Islam is much more than just these five pillars. وَلَعَمَالُ صَالِحَا كُلُّهَا مِنَ الْإِسْلَامِ And the righteous actions, all of them are from Islam. الواجبات والمستحبات وكل الطاعات وترك المعاصي كل ذلك هو الإسلام The wajibat, the obligations and the uh, recommended affairs and the all types of the worship and obedience and leaving sins all of that is from Islam obedience and leaving sins that is from Islam all of the other obligations and the recommended acts the mustahab things etc all of those are from Islam. That's why in one hadith it even mentions, Al-Muslimu man salim al-Muslimuna min lisanihi wa yadihi. A Muslim is somebody whom the other Muslims are safe from his tongue and his hand. فَعَدَّ كَفَّ الْأَذَى مِنَ الْإِسْلَامِ So withholding any harm from others is an act from Islam. Withholding any harm upon others is an act from the acts of Islam. فَالْإِسْلَامُ وَاسِعُ So Islam is something that is expansive. وَلَكِنَّ هَذِهِ الْخَمْسَ هِيَ دَعَائِمُهُ وَهِيَ أَرْكَانُهُ But these five, they are the supports and the pillars of Islam. وَهِيَ مَبَانِيهِ أَلَّتِي بُنِيَ عَلَيْهَا And these are the foundations upon which Islam is built upon. So what is the first of these foundations that Islam is built upon? that Islam revolves around the core of Islam. The first of them is Shahadati an la ilaha illallah wa anna muhammadan rasulullah to bear testification that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah and that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. And that is something that we already looked at in detail in the previous lessons. The previous lessons when we discussed the conditions of La ilaha illallah, then we looked at this testification. And that is the core of the religion, the basis of Islam. is built upon that foundation of La ilaha illallah, which as we said it means, La ma'abuda bihaqqin illallah. That there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah. Meaning that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth, deserving of that worship, besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is the only one deserving of that worship in truth. And therefore we see that the la ilaha illallah is built upon two pillars, affirmation and negation. Al-ithbat wa nafi 
Meaning you need to affirm and you need to accept and believe and acknowledge and act upon the fact that it is only Allah who has the right to be worshipped. And at the same time you must believe and acknowledge and act upon the fact that no other deity has the right to be worshipped. It's not enough for a person to say, yes I believe Allah has the right to be worshipped. That by itself isn't enough. You also need to add to that. And I believe that nobody else, no other deity has the right to be worshipped. You need to have the affirmation and the negation. And that is what the basis of this tawheed it is. So this testification of La ilaha illallah, as we mentioned before, it is not something you just say. It is something you must believe in in your heart. And you utter it with your tongue. And then you act upon it in your limbs. لِأَنَّهُ لَا يَسْتَحِقُّ الْعِبَادَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ Because all of that worship of yours, in the heart, on the tongue, on the limbs, then nobody else deserves it besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَأَنَّ عِبَادَةَ مَا سِوَاهُ بَاطِلَ وَشِرْكٌ بِاللَّهِ And any type of worship that occurs to other than Allah, it is false. And it is shirk. It is shirk. And that is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in the Qur'an, ذَٰلِكَ بِأَنَّ اللَّهَ هُوَ الْحَقِّ وَأَنَّ مَا يَدْعُونَ مِن دُونِهِ هُوَ الْبَاطِلِ وَأَنَّ اللَّهَ هُوَ الْعَلِيُّ الْكَبِيرِ And that is because Allah, He is the truth. And as for those that they call upon besides Allah, then they are falsehood. And indeed Allah is the Most High, the Greatest. So all of these other deities, even if they are called gods by the people who worship them, they are all false gods, false deities. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only truthful deity to be worshipped. And that is the essence of la ilaha illallah, that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah. And that is the message of all of the prophets and messengers who were sent with the message of tawheed. وَلَقَدْ بَعَثْنَا فِي كُلِّ أُمَّةٍ رَسُولًا أَنْ اعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ وَاشْتَنِبُوا الطَّاغُوتِ We sent to all of the nations, prophets and messengers preaching, worship Allah alone, and stay away from the false deities. And as the prophets they used to say, يَا قَوْمِ اعْبُدُوا اللَّهِ مَا لَكُمْ مِنْ إِلَهٍ غَيْرُهُ O people worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you do not have any other deity to worship. Similarly like in the hadith of Mu'adh ibn Jabal, أَتَدْرِ مَا حَقُّ اللَّهِ عَلَى الْعِبَادِ وَمَا حَقُّ الْعِبَادِ عَلَى اللَّهِ Do you know what the right of Allah is upon the slaves and what the right of the slaves is upon Allah? حَقُّ اللَّهِ عَلَى الْعِبَادِ أَنْ يَعْبُدُوهُ وَلَا يُشْرِكُوا بِهِ شَيْئًا The right of Allah upon His servants is that we worship Him alone and do not commit any type of shirk. وَحَقُّ الْعِبَادِ عَلَى اللَّهِ And the right that we have upon Allah, not that we have any rights, but this is a virtue and a blessing that Allah has given to us, bestowed upon us. That Allah will not punish the one who does not commit shirk with him. So this is the basis of the religion that an individual must be upon this tawheed, must be upon this understanding of La ilaha illallah. And that is why here in this hadith, when it says that Islam is built upon the five pillars, the first of those five pillars is the testification of La ilaha illallah. So this all shows to you that the most important thing to learn and to study and to understand is La ilaha illallah, Muhammadun Rasulullah. To understand what that means properly, 
to understand what Tawheed means properly, that is the greatest thing. And that's why Allah mentioned in the Quran, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَغْفِرُ أَنْ يُشْرَكَ بِهِ وَيَغْفِرُ مَا دُونَ ذَلِكَ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ That Allah does not forgive that you commit shirk, but He will forgive anything besides that. Besides that can be forgiven if Allah pleases, if Allah wills. But the shirk cannot be forgiven. So we understand this is the reason why Tawheed and shirk is the greatest thing. And that's why the scholars, they mentioned the likes of Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, he said, the greatest thing you can worship Allah with is Tawheed. And the greatest sin you can commit against Allah is shirk. So that is the first part of the pillars of Islam, the aqidah that every individual must have, which is to believe in the worship of Allah alone and to act upon that, and to disregard and reject and rebuke the worship of anything else besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why Allah mentioned, فَمَنْ يَكْفُرْ وَمَنْ يَكْفُرْ بِالطَّاغُوتِ وَيُؤْمِنْ بِاللَّهِ فَقَدْ إِسْتَمْسَكَ بِالْعُرْوَةِ الْوَثْقَاءِ Whomsoever disbelieves in the false deities and believes in Allah, then he has taken the firm grip and the firm handhold. The one who disbelieves in the false deities and believes in Allah, the one who does not obey and uh, give any type of worship to the false deities, rather he gives all of that to Allah alone. So that is the first part. La ilaha illallah. Then we have Muhammadun Rasulullah. Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. The second part of the testification. And this we've mentioned previously also. The scholars have explained what the meaning of this is. Muhammadun Rasulullah. The meaning of this as the scholars they explain, is four parts. Those four parts we mentioned already. What are the four parts that are included in this testification that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah? What are the four parts? Firstly, your testification that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah means that you will... Correct, that's the first part. That you will follow what he said, meaning you will obey him in the commandments. You will obey the Messenger of Allah in the commandments that he gave us. Why? Because Allah told us to in the Quran, Whatsoever the Prophet gives you, then take it. That which the Prophet gives you, then take it. And that which he prohibits you from, then stay away from it. Similarly, Allah said, وَمَا يَنْتِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَىٰ إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا وَحِنْ يُحَىٰ The Prophet ﷺ doesn't speak from desires. Rather, that is revelation. And in the hadith, مَا نَهَيْتُكُمْ عَنْهُ فَانْتَهُ وَمَا أَمَرْتُكُمْ بِهِ فَأْتُوا مِنْهُ مَسْتَذَعْتُمْ That which I have prohibited you from, then stay away from it. And that which I have commanded you with, then do as much as you are able. So the first part of your testification, when you say, Muhammad is the messenger of Allah, أَشْهَدُ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا عَبْدُهُ وَرَسُولُهُ then it is that you will obey the Messenger of Allah in that which He commanded us with. Second part is that you will. Second part is that you will stay away from those things which He prohibited us from. The first part that you will obey Him in that which He commanded us with. The second part that you will stay away from that which He prohibited us from. Ta'atuhu fi ma amara, wajtinabu ma naha anhu wa Obey him in that which he commanded us with and stay away from that which he prohibited us from. So all of those things that are haram, all of those acts that are impermissible, 
All of that which has been mentioned in the Quran and the Sunnah, from the revelation that the Prophet ﷺ taught us from, from all of those prohibited acts, the greatest of them being shirk, and thereafter the major sins of lying and cheating and deceiving, all types of sins that are mentioned, fornication, interest, many sins that are mentioned that a person he avoids all of those, and that is from your testification that Muhammad is the Messenger of Allah. When you testify to that, then that means you will obey and you will stay away from the prohibitions that he told us of. Then there's a third part. We did this already. What was the third part? The information. The news and the information that the Prophet ﷺ informed us of, then we believe in it. تَصْدِيقُهُ فِي مَا أَقْبَرَ So that can be various things. The knowledge of the unseen. There are certain things the Prophet ﷺ informed us of. About the grave and the things that happen in the grave, about the day of judgment and the things that happen there, about the signs of the day of judgment and what's going to happen. We believe in all of those affairs. We have certainty they are going to occur as the Prophet ﷺ informed us they are going to occur. And this is from the miracles of the Prophet ﷺ, that even some of the things that he mentioned already they've occurred. So we believe in those uh, items of information that the Prophet ﷺ informed us of with certainty. The fourth part. That you will only worship Allah in the manner that the Prophet ﷺ taught us to worship Him. You will only worship Allah in the manner in which the Prophet ﷺ informed us of. Meaning, worship it is tawqifi. It is based purely on the Quran and the Sunnah and it stops at the Quran and the Sunnah. You cannot make up your own worship. You cannot devise or derive any other type of worship from your own thinking. And decide that this is a good act, I'll do this as an act of worship. It's not permissible. Worship must be done upon sincerity as we've mentioned in the first hadith. And upon following the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Must be upon following the sunnah also. So therefore, this worship, it must only be done in the manner which the Prophet ﷺ informed us of. It is not permissible for you to make up anything yourself. That's why Allah said in the Quran, فَمَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُوا لِقَاءَ رَبِّهِ فَلْيَعْمَلْ عَمَلًا صَالِحًا وَلَا يُشْرِكْ بِعِبَادَةِ رَبِّهِ أَحَدًا Whomsoever wishes to meet his Lord, then do the righteous actions, i.e. the ones which are in accordance to the sunnah, and do not commit any shirk. So that is the meaning of لَا إِلَهِ لَلَّهِ مُحَمْدُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ In brief, and we've done that in detail previously uh, in detail, that is the first pillar which is mentioned here from the pillars of Islam. And that is the greatest pillar of Islam that everything else returns back to. All of the other pillars, they come back to this pillar. If this pillar is missing, then the other pillars of Islam cannot be accepted. If a person doesn't believe in La ilaha illa Muhammad Rasulullah, he doesn't accept this pillar of Islam, then even if he fasts all of his life, and even if he prays all of his life, and he makes hajj every year, he gives zakat, he does all of that, it's useless to that person in the hereafter if he doesn't accept La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. He must accept that. Both parts, both of them, they are connected to each other. It is not possible for an individual to believe in one and to leave the other. As Shaykh Al-Fawzani says here, فَلَا بُدَّ مِنَ الشَّهَادَتَيْنَ You must have both parts. La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. You must accept both parts and believe in both parts and act upon both parts. As for an individual believing in one part and not believing in the other part, then that is incorrect. 
That is incorrect and a person is a disbeliever. If he says, I believe in La ilaha illallah, but I don't believe in Muhammad and Rasulullah. If a person says he believes in the first, but he doesn't believe in the second, he's a disbeliever, kafir. You must believe in both parts and they cannot be separated from each other. Even if a person only says, La ilaha illallah, that is sufficient as a statement. As long as he believes that Muhammad and Rasulullah is a part of it. Because that comes into it. But the point being, you must accept both parts. You must practice and accept both parts of the shahada. You cannot differentiate between them. So that is the primary pillar of Islam. The first pillar of Islam that all of Islam is built upon. That's why when the Prophet ﷺ sent Mu'ad ibn Jabal to Yemen, he said to him, You're going to come to the people of the book. The Christians and the Jews, So make sure the first thing you give them da'wah to, the first thing you call them to, is the testification of La ilaha illallah. If they accept that, then tell them about the prayer and the rest of the pillars. But the first thing you begin with, the Prophet said to Mu'ad ibn Jabal, Radiallahu anhu is the shahada la ilaha illallah. And it's the same with the hadith of Ali. Radiallahu anhu. When they went to Khaybar in that battle, then Ali radiallahu anhu, he was sent with the flag of the army. And it was said to him, the Prophet said to him, go there slowly to the boundaries of their lands and firstly call them to la ilaha illallah. If they accept, then that's it. There's no need for any battle. But if they do not, then the situation can progress. So again, every time the first call is the call to La ilaha illallah. That's why you see that Ahlul Sunnah and the Salafiyun, they are upon the correct methodology. Whereas all of these other groups, they are not. Because they do not make their primary call the call to La ilaha illallah. They're talking about Khilafah, they're talking about the rulers, they're talking about this, they're talking about that. They're talking about going to people's houses three days, 40 days, whatever it might be. Where are they talking about Tawheed? That's what they should be making their primary concern. But they do not. And that is their error. They have simply not understood or they have deviated away from the correct understanding of these narrations that the Tawheed is the basis of the religion. That's what you begin with in the call. Then the second pillar which is mentioned in this hadith, Iqam is Salah. The establishment of the prayer. The prayer we know is the second highest pillar of Al-Islam. And it was established... It was established when? When was the prayer revealed? During, was it during uh, night journey? Correct. And when was that? It was during the night of Al-Israq al-Miraj. As many of the scholars they have mentioned... Due to those narrations. But when was the night of Al-Isra al-Mi'raj? Correct. Many of the scholars they mentioned, there's a difference about it when it was exactly, but many of the scholars they say it was roughly about 10 years, 12 years approximately after the prophethood. I.e. just a year or two before the Hijrah to Mecca. Just a year or two before the Hijrah to Mecca. A couple of years, maybe three years before the Hijrah to Mecca. Uh, to Medina, sorry. The Hijrah to Medina. That is the time when the scholars, they mentioned that the night of Al-Isra al-Mi'raj occurred just before the Hijrah was made to Medina. Maybe by two years or three years approximately, as many of them mentioned. 
That indicates that the first 10 years or so, the call to the religion of Islam was purely to Tawheed. Not even the prayer had been established yet. This indicates the importance of Tawheed in of itself. But then the prayer was established. And here in the hadith it says, Iqam salah to establish the prayer. It doesn't just say to pray, that one of the pillars of the one of the pillars of Islam is that you pray. It doesn't say that. It says one of the pillars of Islam is that you establish the prayer. What's the difference between saying that one of the pillars of Islam is that you pray? And saying one of the pillars of Islam is that you establish the prayer. The difference is that praying and establishing the prayer, the purpose of that here, iqam is salah, is to indicate that the purpose isn't just to pray. But it is to pray properly and correctly and accurately. To pray with the pillars of the prayer, with the conditions of the prayer prior to that. To pray with all of the correct wajibat, the sunan, the sunnah acts, the obligatory acts. To pray all of that prayer in its correct way as the Prophet said, Sallu kama usalli. Pray as you have seen me pray. So establishing the prayer is a pillar of Islam. Not just to go randomly pray up and down and you don't even know what you're doing or if you're praying it properly. But it's to pray it properly and establish the prayer properly with the conditions and the pillars and the obligations and the sunnah acts etc. And that's what the shaykh mentions here. He says, لَمْ يَقُلْ وَأَن تُصَلِّي He didn't say that you pray. لِأَنَّهُ لَيْسَ الْمَقْصُودُ وَجُودَ الصَّلَاةِ The purpose isn't just to pray and the prayer to be there. إِنَّ الْمَقْصُودُ إِنَّمَا الْمَقْصُودُ أَن تُقَامَ عَلَى حَقِيقَتِهَا بِأَرْكَانِهَا وَوَاجِبَاتِهَا وَشُرُوطِهَا But the purpose is that it is established upon its reality with the pillars and the obligations and the conditions مَعَ إِخْلَاصِهَا لِلَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ With the sincerity to Allah فَلَا بُدَّ مِنْ هَذَا So this is how it must be done. أَمَّا مَنْ أَتَى بِسُورَةِ الصَّلَاةِ مِنَ الرُّكُوعِ وَالصُّجُودِ مِنْ غَيْرِ طُمَأْنِينَ As for a person who comes and prays, he stands and he prays. But he does his ruku' he does his sujood, but there's no serenity, there's no khushu' there's no tranquility. He doesn't pray that prayer properly, he just comes and prays up and down. Then that isn't the purpose of this hadith. That's not what's meant by the prayer. The prayer is that you do it properly. Or if a person was to exit the prayer out of its time without a reason. An individual prays the prayer, but he prays it outside of the times, without any due reason. Or maybe he leaves the prayer altogether, then all of that is forbidden. Allah mentioned in the Quran, إِنَّ صَلَاةَ كَانَتْ عَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ كِتَابًا That indeed this prayer, it is upon the believers at established times. There are established times when a person has to pray the prayer. An individual who takes the prayer outside of those times without any reason, then that is an incorrect act from that prayer and the, uh, from that person. And the prayer is not accepted as the Shaykh mentions here, Shaykh Al-Fawzan. An individual who delays the prayer outside of his time without any good reason, without any legitimate reason, then the prayer is false. The prayer is not accepted. Or the prayer is batil as the Shaykh says that it is false. An individual who prays it outside the time without any reason. Sometimes a person may have a reason. Combining due to traveling or, or, or sickness perhaps or other reasons. There may be a reason for the combining or the delaying of the prayer. That's okay. If there's a legitimate reasoning. But as for an individual without any legitimate reason, he delays the prayer and he prays it outside its time. He doesn't bother getting up for fajr. 
prays it at Dhuhr time when he wakes up. Or some people, they leave all of their prayers at the end of the day, 9 o'clock at night, they go home, make wudu, pray all five prayers and go to bed. They say, I've prayed them all, I've prayed my five for the day. I've done qada. This isn't correct. There are times for the prayers and every individual has to strive to make sure that he is praying the prayers in those times. And we've mentioned those prayers and their times in the lessons of Bulugh al-Maram. The Fajr prayer begins at the time of the dawn, when the light it spreads across the horizon. Not the false dawn that comes before that, but the second dawn, the actual dawn, when the light spreads across the horizon, that's the time for Fajr beginning. And it continues up until sunrise. When the sun begins to rise, that's the time for Fajr ended. Then Dhuhr begins when the sun goes past the middle part of the day. When the sun is right at the top in the middle part of the day, just when it starts to sink and go to the west, from that middle part of the day, Dhuhr starts. And it continues up until the shadow of an object is equal to its length. When you put something outside in the sun, when the shadow is the same size as the object, that's when Dhuhr now finishes and Asr begins. And Asr continues, as many of the scholars mention, up until the sun it becomes a yellowy color. When the sun is about to set, it starts to become a yellowy, orangey, yellowy color. When it becomes that color, it's about to set, Asr finishes, many scholars say. Some of them say you can continue praying all the way up until sunset, but that's the time of necessity, if you missed the other time. Then when the sun sets, Maghrib begins, and that continues up until the redness of the sky, Ashafaqul Ahmar. When that redness it disappears, then Maghrib ends and Isha begins, and that continues to the middle of the night or to the third of the night. And some of the scholars say you can continue to pray all the way up until Isha to uh, Fajr. You can continue and pray your Isha even towards the time of Fajr before it begins, out of necessity if need be. But half of the night or third of the night is where you should pray. So the other times are the prayers, and that's where an individual needs to pray his prayers in the times. In congregation, for the males, they need to go to the masajid, those masajid of Ahl Sunnah, and to pray in congregation, or to go to the masajid, and many places they don't have masajid of Ahl Sunnah. But you have something which is perhaps upon deviance, but not to the level that it is impermissible for you to pray behind them. So you still pray behind those individuals and you pray in the congregation. So this is possible to do for an individual to go and pray in the congregation. So that's mentioned that with the establishment of the prayer, it is to pray in its time, and it is to pray in congregation, and it is to pray with the conditions and the obligations and the sunnah acts, everything properly in place. That's the meaning of the pillar of Islam being to establish the prayer. Not to just come and randomly pray left and right and you don't know how you're praying or what you're doing. No serenity, no tranquility, quickly in two minutes finish and go. That's not the meaning. The meaning is to pray properly with khushu'ah, with concentration and focus and humbleness and humility in the prayer. Recognizing that Allah is watching you and is in front of you. This prayer of yours is being held accountable for you and the reward you get is in accordance to how well you pray it. Some people may pray that prayer and get the full reward. Some people may pray that prayer and they come out with hardly any reward. Because all the prayer their mind was absent and somewhere else thinking about other things, wandering around, no serenity, no tranquility, not praying it properly, so they come out with hardly any reward. So the amount of reward a person comes out with in terms of the prayer is how well you pray it, and how you concentrate, and how you look down at the place of prostration, and you concentrate and pray properly, that's how much reward they'll get. 
Somebody just comes and prays because they think I just need to pray. I need to pray quickly so I can get it out of the way. He comes and quickly prays, then his reward will be minimal. So this is the second pillar which is mentioned. And that is the prayer and that is from the greatest of the pillars. From the greatest of the pillars. And here the Shaykh even mentions what many of the scholars have said, that somebody who doesn't pray, he leaves the prayer, he abandons the prayer, then he's a kafir. Somebody who abandons the prayer and he doesn't pray, then he's a kafir. And that's mentioned from amongst the scholars with regards to that issue of the one leaving the prayer and if he is a kafir or not. And some of the scholars have mentioned, and there's much more detail to it. But in brief, some of the scholars have mentioned the one who leaves the prayer, then he is a disbeliever. So this is the greatness of the prayer, and that is the second pillar of Islam. And some of the scholars have mentioned also, from the signs of it being so great, is that the other revelations, Allah used to send Jibreel with them to the earth. But when it came to the prayer, Allah didn't send Jibreel with that revelation to the earth. Instead, Allah brought the Prophet ﷺ from the earth up to the heavens to give it to him. The revelation of the prayer was given up in the heavens, on the night of Al-Isra al-Mihraj. So that shows the greatness and the virtue of the prayer. Similarly on the Day of Judgment, the first thing that everybody will be asked about is their prayer. The first thing you'll be held accountable for from your actions is your prayer. So if that is good and correct, then the rest of your actions will be in line. Because in the Quran it says that the prayer, it helps you from doing other righteous actions and it stops you from doing other evil actions. So somebody who guards over the prayer five times a day properly in the congregation, it helps him to stop doing other evil acts. But somebody doesn't bother with the prayer, he can easily then be convinced by the shaitan to go and do the other acts of evil too. So all of this is from the virtues and the benefits of the prayer. Then the third pillar which is mentioned, is zakah, To give the zakat. And the zakat, the shaykh says, salah. This is something which is associated to the prayer. It is a partner to the prayer. And this is an obligatory type of spending that the rich must do for the poor. The rich people, the ones who have the ability, the ones who have that certain amount of money that is required or that certain amount of wealth that is required to have to give the zakat, then they give the zakat uh, to those who are in need of it from the categories that have been mentioned in the Quran and the Sunnah. So this is again an obligation, an obligation in the wealth of a person. Whereas the Prayer is the obligation of the body. Physically you have to pray. The zakat is the obligation of your wealth. And that's why zakat is actually in Arabic, zakat, the word zakat means to increase. That's what the word zakat means in Arabic. Something which increases. And that's why the scholars, they say zakat, when you give money, when you give some of your wealth away in zakat, that doesn't decrease your wealth, it makes your wealth increase. It puts barakah into your wealth. It puts blessings into your wealth. It purifies your wealth. And that's another meaning of the word zakat in Arabic. To purify. So when you give some of your money out, take it out and you give it, that doesn't make your money go down. It makes your money go up and increase and be purified. And that's the purpose of the zakat. So this is something which is obligatory that a person must do. Uh, and he must give this a zakat. Um, and the shaykh says, so somebody who prays but he doesn't give the zakat, he's left one of the pillars of Islam. If somebody disbelieves in the pillar of zakat, he says there's no such thing, he doesn't believe in it. Somebody who rejects giving the zakat, he doesn't accept that, doesn't believe in it, then that's a disbeliever. 
You have to accept it. It's one of the pillars of Islam. And you must pay it for those who are upon that level of paying the zakat. Then after that, the fourth pillar which is mentioned is the fasting of Ramadan. Ramadan, then it's mentioned, it is the fourth pillar in this hadith. And it is an obligation upon every uh, able-bodied Muslim of the correct age to fast this fast in Ramadan. And that's because Allah mentioned in the Quran, فَمَنْ شَهِدَ مِنْكُمْ وَشَهْرَ فَلْيَسُمْهُ Whomsoever from amongst you sees the sign of the month, the month has begun, then fast. So it is an obligation to fast. كُتِبَ عَلَيْكُمُ الصِّيَامُ كَمَا كُتِبَ عَلَى الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ This fasting has been prescribed upon you as it was prescribed upon those who came before you. So even those before us, they had fasting upon them. And this ummah, then it has fasting upon us too. So this is an obligation from the obligations of the Islam. And it is the fourth pillar which is mentioned. And there are various rules and regulations regarding this fasting. When it begins, when it ends. Uh, what are the rules pertaining to it? What's allowed whilst you're fasting? What's not allowed whilst you're fasting? All of those things are mentioned within this category of fasting. And inshallah ta'ala, before the month of Ramadan, perhaps one lecture will specify that. Maybe a week before Ramadan or something will specify one lecture to go through some of the rules and regulations of Ramadan and to explain what you have to do, what you are not allowed to do, all the rulings and regulations, etc. We'll briefly go over them in a specific lecture, inshallah, later on, coming closer to the month of Ramadan in a few weeks' time. But this is one of the pillars that a person must uh, fulfill and abide by. And of course, there are uh, exceptions, maybe if somebody is ill, etc. All of those, inshallah, will mention them in the specific lecture regarding Ramadan in maybe four weeks or five weeks' time, inshallah. Then the fifth pillar which is mentioned here, وَحَجِّ بَيْتِ اللَّهِ الْحَرَامِ And the Hajj to the house of Allah, Al-Haram, the sacred house of Allah, Al-Haram. Why is it called Haram? Why do you call the Haram the Haram? Al-Masjid al-Nabawi, you call it the Haram. In Mecca, you call it Haram. Why is it called Haram? Correct, because there are certain things, certain acts, which are impermissible to do in those areas, which are permissible outside of those areas. There are certain things that are haram to do in those areas, which would normally be allowed outside of those areas. That's why they are called the haram areas, the haram. It's haram to do certain things in those areas, whereas outside it would be permissible. There are certain things that are mentioned, removing the leaves of the trees that naturally grow there, etc. Hunting, other things that are mentioned is not permissible to do in those areas, that are permissible outside of those areas. So making the hajj to the house of Allah, then that is an obligation once in a lifetime for the one who is able. And hajj in of itself, it means to intend or to have that objective. So your objective is to go to the house of Allah, your intent with hajj is to go to the house of Allah and to do the certain acts which are mentioned of making tawaf and sa'i and standing in Arafah and staying in Muzdalifah and Mina and stoning. All of those things that are mentioned in the uh, pillars of hajj. Uh, and with that regards to inshaAllah ta'ala when it comes to hajj, we'll do some specific lectures about hajj. Just before the time of hajj to explain those rulings of what is done and how it is done and what is sunnah, what is not. What is the way of doing Hajj properly? At the time, inshaAllah ta'ala, we'll do that also. 
So here, this is another one of the pillars of Islam. Uh, we should mention about these pillars, that some of them, they are only obligatory once in a lifetime. And that is, Hajj. Some of them are only obligatory once in a year. Zakat and fasting. Some of them are obligatory five times a day. Prayer. And some of them are obligatory to be with you at every moment of your life. The Tawheed. So you see the order of the pillars too. Tawheed must be with you at all times. The head of the pillars. Prayer must be with you five times a day, every day. Second pillar. Then zakat and fasting once in a year. Then hajj once in a lifetime. So you see that the pillars, they have different amounts of how much you have to do of them. The pillar of prayer being five times a day indicates how important it is compared to hajj and zakat, which is once a year, once in a lifetime. The prayer is five times a day. So that shows to you the levels of the arkan of Islam in terms of how much or how often they need to be done. With regards to the hajj, which is once a year then, Shaykh Al-Fawzan Hafizullah mentions, وَنَذَرًا لِكَوْنِهِ شَاقًا And due to the fact that hajj is difficult, وَيَأْتِيهِ النَّاسُ مِنْ أَقْطَارِ الْأَرْضِ And the people that come from all parts of the world, مِنْهَا الْقَرِيبُ وَمِنْهَا الْبَعِيدُ Some people from close, some people from far. فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ أَوْجَبَهُ عَلَى الْمُسْتَطِيعِ بِمَالِهِ الَّذِي عِنْدَهُ مَا يَكْفِي لِسَفَرِهِ وَذِهَابًا وَإِيَابًا وَعِنْدَهُ مَا يَكْفِي لِأَوْلَادِهِ وَأَهْلِ بَيْتِهِ حَتَّى يَرْجِعْ Then it is only obligatory upon those people who have the ability with their wealth to be able to travel there and back and to be able to leave enough money for their wealth, from their wealth for their children, etc. until they return. فَهَذَا يَجِبُ عَلَيْهِ الْحَجْ Then this is the type of person who hajj is obligatory upon him. فَإِن كَانَ يَقْدِرُ عَلَىٰ عَلَيْهِ بِنَفْسِهِ حَجَّ بِنَفْسِهِ So if a person is able to do that himself, then he goes and makes the hajj himself. وَإِن كَانَ لَا يَقْدِرُ عَلَيْهِ بِنَفْسِهِ وَعَجْزُهُ مُسْتَمِرُ فَإِنَّهُ يُنِيبُ مَنْ يُحِجُّ عَنْهُ And if a person is not able to go himself, maybe there's an individual, he's disabled in some way perhaps, he has some other disability, some other reason why he can't go himself, then it's permissible to have somebody substitute for you to go and make the hajj on your behalf. Uh, and so this is uh, from the pillars of Islam. As for an individual who is not able, he doesn't have the wealth, then it's not obligatory upon him. A person who doesn't have the wealth, he doesn't have the means to do it, then it's not obligatory. Even if a woman doesn't have a mahram, a woman doesn't have a mahram for example, she has no mahram, then she can't go until she finds a mahram, until some mahram comes, until she marries for example or something of that nature, then she can't go without a mahram. Sometimes women they say, can we go? They say for example, what if a group of women, all of us go together? 10 of us, 15 of us in a group, we all go together. But if they haven't got mahram with them, then no. It's not permissible as the scholars they say. So a woman needs a mahram for example. If a woman doesn't find any mahram, then it's not obligatory until she finds a mahram. So all of these things, they must be in place. And without them, then the hajj isn't obligatory upon an individual. Until uh, those conditions are in place and everything is there, uh, available for him to be able to do that hajj. So the point being the shaykh says to conclude, فَالْحَاصِلْ أَنَّ هَذَا الْحَدِيثِ مُكَمِّلٌ لِحَدِيثِ عُمَرْ this hadith, in effect, it is a completion of the previous hadith. The previous hadith briefly mentioned in there, what is Islam? Islam is these five pillars. This hadith now goes into detailing and explaining that these are the five pillars Islam is built upon. 
And these are the basics and the fundamentals of the religion, whereas all the other acts of obediences and staying away from prohibitions, they are all part of Islam too. And they all have an impact upon the iman of a person. So that is the meaning of that hadith in conclusion, in summary. And from next lesson, inshaAllah ta'ala, we'll begin with the hadith of Abu Abdurrahman, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, the hadith about how everybody is created, how Allah creates the people, how we are in the wombs of our mothers, and what happens in the womb, and how the angel comes to the people when they are in the wombs of their mothers, and the angel writes down certain things, all of those things that happen before a person is even born in the womb of his mother. Then there is a hadith by the Prophet ﷺ about that. And inshallah ta'ala, that's what we'll begin with. Next lesson, uh, inshallah ta'ala. Uh, you should keep up to date with the Al-Basira on Twitter for the timings of the lessons. Uh, because next week, Allah A'lam, the lesson time may possibly change as a one-off due to uh, the conference the timing may be different next week. So follow on Twitter, Al-Basira on Twitter, to make sure you're up to date with the times. Normally it's this time, quarter past seven, on a Sunday evening. But next week there's a possibility it may change or it may be off altogether. It may change or it may be off altogether. So follow Al-Basira on Twitter to get the details of whether it's off or it's going to continue or what time, etc. 